Hi, listeners and viewers, and uh, it's uh, fifth episode of Apple Treats uh, uh, with Danis and Irina and our special guest. Uh, this episode is uh, dedicated, dedicated to security and privacy uh, for users and developers. Yeah, right. Uh, so our guest is uh, Anastasia Voitova, uh, and uh, we will probably let her introduce her, uh, herself. So Anastasia, welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, hi, like happy to be here. That's my first time on Apple Trades podcast. So yay. Uh, yeah, my name is Anastasia and I'm security software engineer at Kozak Labs. So I do data security, I do cryptography, and I often work with developers and help them to improve security of their applications. And of course, as security topic is kind of related, it's not the same, but it's kind of related to privacy. Today, we will talk about both security and privacy. Right. But before we go into privacy and security, there uh, there was quite important update for Apple developers. So WWDC uh, 21 was announced. And uh, probably my question here would be, what are your expectations here? So is there something you would like to Apple to announce on WWDC? Well, my expectations are purely personal. I expect tons of new content and, you know, the feeling of, I don't know, like missing out, the feeling that there like there are some developers that will explore those topics and it's me who is busy with my security work and I won't like watch all the videos. But I I think that this feeling is like all developers feel the same during WWDC. The event is cool, but at the same time, like we often feel overwhelmed with the amount of new content, right? Dennis and Ira, what do you think about WWDC? Mm, you know, uh I want them uh, to surprise me somehow, like it was announced in the Swift uh, that uh, nobody expected. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of new useful stuff, but I uh, want to something like not improved, but uh, like principle new. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we kind of know that there will be something to Swift, like concurrency, which uh, like probably might increase uh uh, application stability and in turn maybe security. I mean, like some bugs. And, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I I hope they won't announce new Swift. Oh my God, I I won't <laughs> like you know new Swift. No, maybe like new like minor version. That's fine. New features. That's okay. But major changes in the language. No, please, no, no. Well, I also I think await think... is there. Yeah. Well, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay, that's that's fine. I mean, many languages have a synthesis, so we can live with this, right? Right. And so yeah. uh, I don't want a new Swift. It was like a, an example <laughs> in transducing something uh, new. <laughs> like yeah, the, some excitement would be would, would be fun. Maybe uh, some new sensors uh, or like um, yeah, I have before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I also noticed that for security updates, for example, and for privacy updates, Apple doesn't stuck to WWDC announcement scheme anymore, right? Because last year we had a lot of privacy-related updates through the year. So it's not right. like one event in a year that will have something new. No, sorry. 
Uh, the Apple review guidelines are changing like every couple of months. Well, not changing, but like let's say improving. Okay, let's call it improving. Okay, <laughs> so the guidelines are improving. New like uh, privacy related, tracking related changes implementing during the year. So mm-hmm. it's not like previous years anymore. It's not like all developers are waiting for WWDC and then make some changes. No, now you need to be inside this ecosystem and read the news all the year around. Uh, yes, and among the lat- latest updates, um, Apple is going uh, to um, uh, reject apps that uses SDK that um, use IDFA uh, and uh, adjust what under the fire uh, for this. Uh, and also, for example, uh, big uh, players uh, and China market gains are um, trying to, you know, find a workaround and build uh, some unique users' uh, identifiers based on for some um, unique users' uh, privacy settings and like build su- such a fingerprint to cross um, uh, to um, track users across the apps. How do you think uh, will be will this? Uh, like tries be successful, uh, worth it to like um, spend the time uh, to build something instead of uh, IDFA or like uh, this name, naming of this, it's not really important, but uh, the meaning is important for Apple. Like uh, Yeah, I really like this like drama, let's call it privacy drama that is happening. Because if you step like a step back, so what is happening right now? Um, there is like IDFA. Right, we all know this. This is identifier, like advertising identifier that Apple introduced many years ago. And as a developer, you can use it to track users basically to show them ads, right? But um, if I remember correctly, as developers, you need to like ask Apple to allow you to use it. And this idea, it was uh, like introduced many years ago, so nothing new here. However, IDFA is not the only way how to identify users, how to track them. And there is a whole set of companies, businesses that uh, help to identify users, that help to show ads or help with like uh, anti-fraud features, right? So sometimes user identification is not uh, related to ads and it's not related to selling data, but it might be related to with security, with anti-fraud, you know, with anti like malware, anti bot things. So, uh, IDFA, one thing, and other similar ways to identify users. What we see right now, what is happening right now, Apple says that okay, privacy is very important and introduces a lot of changes with privacy and a lot of communications with users. Now we see all this nice and shiny like alert boxes saying this application tries to use Bluetooth, et cetera, et cetera. And we, Apple has introduced the new permission, the new alert. Um, this application wants to, to track the user, right? And the user now, starting from iOS 14 something, can accept or reject that this tracking. However, this permission uh, uh, is related to IDFA. So if you're kind of like, good developer if you want to use idfa you show this permission if user says reject you receive null you don't receive idfa at all and that's fine it works as expected no problem here but the drama is 
with this second set, with uh, there are other ways to identify user, not IDFA related, right? So with this many, many companies that already have working businesses to identify user, technically saying the way how they identify user, for example, grabbing IP, grabbing some user fingerprint, based on location, based on Wi-Fi networks, yada, yada, these ways, they are not like regulated. So from data perspective, this is a not a sensitive data. This is not a regulated data. So technically saying many companies can use different ways to identify users, right? Because it's not under some regulations. It's not prohibited. However, Apple tries to like to put a lot of efforts to make this um, tracking visible for users and from apple perspective these other companies that use other ways of identifier contradicts these new ideas like these privacy ideas of apple right so zero so that's the drama from, from my understanding okay from, from my understanding this is a drama that apple wants many companies to um to ask user permission at the same time Companies use other ways to identify user, and they kind of don't need to ask these permissions. Um, my understanding of the problem is uh, uh, that uh, they uh, see the issue in uh, sharing data across the apps. So you can ask data to build uh, personal, personalized experience inside the app, but uh, such... Uh, uh, solutions like just uh, gathering them from different apps and like uh, for example China uh, developed their own identifier to share it and they want to prevent it and al already discussing that it will not be allowed so uh, yeah. that's the second issue uh, yeah 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 permission and, yeah and this is the case that you mentioned at the beginning adjust is decay right um yeah. This is the SDK that basically provides developers a way to identify users. And one of the ways is using IDFA. And in other ways are using other different like, IDs, let's put it this way. So from my understanding, this SDK doesn't respect when user says, I don't want you to track me, but sure. uh, doesn't respect that and still provides developers a way to like identify user using these other identifiers, not IDFA. Yeah. And technically saying it's not it's not like black and white because Apple doesn't write it anywhere except for like guidelines that you should respect choice, but Apple doesn't have any enumeration what things you should not grab, right? Yeah, well they actually stating that um app tracking transparency should be applied to what any means of tracking the user uh, across apps. So, IDFA is like uh, like w which could be measured in code, basically. So you can either get the real IDFA or you get uh, null. But uh, for other means, you still have to ask user and you still have to respect the uh, user's choice. So that that's yeah, that's actually the drama, right? But you have yeah. to do that according to Apple. Yeah, but this is a very vague definition because exactly. it's like super gray area because you can identify users by many, many means, like IP addresses, yeah. by the like user ID, right? And yeah, I feel I feel that this is the field of um, 
I know of improvements and we will see how different companies react on that. And I feel, I definitely feel companies that work with user identification like this anti-fraud and anti-malware companies that doesn't relate it to showing ads and like doesn't relate it to show, um, to sell user data, but they still rely on some ideas. So it's really interesting for me to see how the situation will like expand. Speaking of users' data, selling that and uh, large companies, we could not like skip uh, latest news on the Facebook. Well, I mean, it's not really related to iOS uh, 14.5, but come on, like 500 million uh, account like entries were like leaked for free. <laughs> well, yeah, like speaking of Facebook, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like, yeah, I, I really like how you describe the things. Speaking of data, large companies and selling the data, yeah, Facebook comes to mind. Well, as Apple developers, we can't not speak about Facebook, right? Yeah. So what's the story here? And I feel that this is, that's not a something super new, but it's something that has been around right now. So people speak about this like data leak really often these days. So what have happened? Um, people found that uh, some Facebook um, date related databases are there in like in a wild, and these Facebook databases data leaks they contain uh, Facebook user ID, right? Uh, phone number of the user and some public info of the user as as I understood Okay, as I understood what had happened. So Facebook has different API's and one of them is reset password API So attackers were able to use this reset password API to enumerate uh, user phone numbers So they were just you know brute forcing they were just enumerating like random phone numbers looking strings and if this phone number is linked to any facebook account facebook would answer would respond to this api query with user id then using this user id of existing users they were able to perform get requests get all public fields so technically speaking uh the only like important information in this leak is that now we have not only public user IDs in Facebook, they are public, it's not something secret, but we have them with user, with Facebook user ID and with phone number, right? But I believe that many users, when they put their phone number to any service, they kind of have they this, <laughs> yeah, they have this thought in the background that if you put something in the internet, it will be public sooner or later, right? So I wouldn't say that this data leak is a result of uh, of a hack, no, but this is a result of really long and I would say like accurate work because uh, people would require a lot of time to grab those IDs and to enumerate those phone numbers one by one. Uh, and Facebook, they have a lot of uh, API defenses. It's not so easy. You cannot just enumerate, you know, like hundred requests per second because Facebook will throttle this request and then will like ban you and your IP address, right? So I believe that people, um, the people who was grabbing, collecting this database, they spent a lot of time to do that. Okay. Like, yeah. Like my respect, <laughs> but okay, for, of course, from user, from user perspective, that's not good. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, and by the way, Facebook actually recently changed its narrative uh, to uptracking transparency. So what they basically now saying is that when this change uh, will come into effect, basically with the iOS 14.5, um, uh, more businesses will actually use Facebook for advertisement because of like other platforms will lack uh, tracking. And so, uh, yeah, the tracking will rely now on the, on Facebook's data, not on like the whole user data. But uh, well, th- I believe that's basically like we 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 were not able to change this. We were not able to change uh, like narrative in the in like in the environment. So like let's accept it and uh, play like a, a good game with that. So that, I I believe that's not like they actually think it's good for them, but like. Let's make a school uh, look a little bit better with this situation. So, I, I don't know. I mean, like, very weird uh, change of their um, narrative, like, coming from paper ads. I mean, like, they they put paper ads against Apple, like, Facebook as an advertisement platform, like, online, and they're using paper to, newspapers to attack another company. Like, weird. <laughs> really weird. Honestly, I'm not, like, a big fan of... Um watching all these big corporation fight because when i do i always try to to i'm asking a question who you know who will gain who will profit from all the things yeah. happening and we don't know the answer we can just speculate about the topic and it's very fun to speculate about the topic i agree yeah okay. i agree let's see yeah so if you don't fun of this, so let's move uh, to more engineering stuff. <laughs> yeah, just one more thing, just one more thing regarding this Facebook leak. So um, I would like to do some kind of summary, right? Um, if you as a developer, if you work on the service that has phone number, right? So you have users, users have profile and they have phone numbers. Take a look on your API design. Changes, chances are that you might have the same kind of, it's not a vulnerability, it's the same API design that will allow someone to enumerate phone numbers if you use phone number as a primary key, for example, if you use phone number as things that will have in phone numbers that will return you user ID. So take a look on your API design on methods that put user, like, create user and methods that will that read user like get user and try to understand if it's possible to reproduce similar behavior on your API and what can you do to prevent that an easy way to prevent that is of course different um, API defenses like throttling uh, like uh, like rejecting uh, requests after some number of requests like blocking account but blocking account is and a suspicious feature because you can block somebody else's account. As attacker, I can use somebody else's number, right? So mostly like network-based, API-based defenses might help here. Mm, nice advice. <laughs> uh, I think so. Uh, as um, it um, should be like um, tested uh, anyway, and maybe security testers will uh, should include it in their test cases for sure now, uh, and. Uh, so for, uh, I'm like an engineer or developer. Usually I download different proof of concept or demo apps from uh, uh, GitHub uh, to try it. And uh, it was hot uh, recently, uh, this topic uh, that of 
of a harmful infected uh, Xcode project uh, that installed during um, compilation um, a script that executed uh, uh, before uh, before compilation. And uh, it's uh, not obvious. It's um, uh, very hard to ma uh, to notice it, and uh, maybe here some advices uh, what to do on just not to download and uh, run these applications. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the main security advice: don't download and run suspicious applications <laughs> from the internet, right? Uh, but yeah, I agree with you um, that the story is that um, with the script. Uh, so in Xcode, you have this run script phase where you can put call in any script and, you know, like SwiftLint is usually there, like mm -hmm. a core pods can be there, right? So the, the vulnerability, the malware was that in this like small window in Xcode, they were calling malware script and this script uh, actually had a backdoor. So it's kind of malware for macOS. And every time when developer run their Xcode, run this project, like build the project and run the project, Xcode would run the script. The script would uh, use this vulnerability and get access to macOS like microphone, uh, screen capture, if I remember correctly. So some macOS specific feature, camera, keyboard, right? So basically that's like, mm, that's a malware. And Xcode again was used to to spread this malware, and uh, the story is very similar. I feel I think that this story was named Xcode Spy, right? And this story is very similar to Xcode Ghost story. Do you remember Xcode Ghost story? Yeah, like uh, yes, 2015. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a story. Uh, that Xcode was used, so patched version of Xcode, malware Xcode, uh, was used to produce uh, malware uh, iOS applications, right? If and if I remember correctly, the the main like idea is that in some countries, like in China, uh, the internet connection inside the country is not so reliable, and Xcode is a huge, huge piece of. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's it's a pain to download it uh, from after <laughs> still, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like twelve gigabytes. Oh my. So, what's the story that people like patched Xcode, right? So, introduced some malware into Xcode and put this Xcode to to trackers, to um, BitTorrent trackers. So, other people download would download Xcode not from App Store but from trackers and they got this malware Xcode and this malware Xcode was able to inject some malware code to iOS applications that developers were building with this Xcode. And it was really fun because it was discovered only when we had like thousands of malware applications in China App Store. So imagine like the scale of this thing. And of course, Apple uh, patched that and introduced a lot of new security controls and security measures to make sure that Xcode integrity, like to, to double check that Xcode is real, is real, right? But still, uh, they don't... Um, they don't eliminate the, the attack vector itself because people can still put Xcode to tracker and download Xcode from tracker, right? So they can still do it. And looking on this story with Xcode Spy, this new thing 
with running a script. It's kind of similar for me because still developers are like a vector to spread malware to like to everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's actually very interesting in terms of we expect developers to be like those super minds who are like cautious, who think about the, like everything and they, and they do like they carefully select everything. No, they just download something from the internet, hit enter and let's just like go there. Uh, uh, laptop or like iMac or whatever infected like and yeah the, this wouldn't happen if developers were cautious actually so like the, some project you probably don't know where it's coming from like you will look into it or you'll just not run it at all like because you don't know what's that but as a developers we probably need to be this kind of cautious I mean like yeah well <laughs> if if we expect our apps to be secure like we need to be secure in a way well, you know, I am biased because I work with developers in improving security, meaning that I usually deal with bad from security perspective applications. And I can say that most um, security guidelines written for security engineers, they have the same statement. Be careful. Developers don't care about security, so you should not assume that they know what you're talking about. So you should explain things in a very, very you know, easy way. So, yeah, I don't understand why this happened. <laughs> right. um, and uh, yes, I can agree that it's true. But when I'm uh, building a something like, um, uh, and for end user, I, uh, for example, uh, select uh, or choose some third party that um, like announce or like say, uh, yes, I'm secure. I do everything uh, for security and um, I don't check it. I just, oh, it's secure. Okay. Uh, for example, so I don't go, go in depth. I don't see, see it's like sources also. Uh, so I know I need a secure data, for example, or secure protocols or traffic or something. Okay. It's secure. And um, I assume it should be if they, if they declare and then don't go in the de details. Yeah, 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 totally. And I mean, no one uh, looks on this on this uh, third-party libraries and the dependencies that we use, right? I don't know how many third-party libraries uh, the typical iOS application has. I assume it's like twenty to thirty. It's like typical scenario, except for maybe some organizations like banks that have strict security policies against using third-party libraries. Then maybe it's not thirty, maybe it's fifteen. But people still use a lot of libraries. So. Yeah, I recently um, prepared a talk on uh, mobile development, and I was uh, looking into uh, third-party library management. So there was a case, uh, there was a study actually. So one company uh, checked a couple of uh, modern apps for that was for Android platform, but I believe it's still relevant for iOS as well, including like the AliExpress app or like whatever. So some big names. And they were using um, outdated uh, third-party libraries, which had vulnerabilities. But the problem here is not that they are using that. The problem was that this vulnerability was closed two years before that study in that library. So the guys developing the application simply don't care about everything they use. So the library is outdated for two years. And uh, like they, they didn't care to update it. Well, I wouldn't say that people don't care. If developers know about security practices, again, from my experience, they follow these practices. So it's not a lack of uh, caring because developers typically care about applications they, they create, right? Yeah. 
but it's more uh, it's more about ignorance right we don't know things that we don't know we don't know they exist we don't know that we should care about that and with libraries it's especially complicated because we have an application it has uh, libraries it depends on these libraries have libraries that depend on etc 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 so nested yeah. dependencies are real deal especially in huge applications especially when you have like two libraries and depend on another library and you can't update them because something will be broken however fortunately we have a lot of automated tools to help us uh, to notify if we like as developers if we uh, if we are using any dependencies that have known security issues right so yeah. these are tools like snick like white source software for they are mostly useful for iOS only, but from for iOS, Android, etc. But if you like, if you write like um, Python or JavaScript backend, you can use integrated into GitHub tools like Dependabot. It's part of GitHub. It's free. You can just implement it to to work on pull requests, and they're extremely useful. However, what's the problem here? Hello. Oh, hi there. <laughs> So we have a new guest in our podcast. No, let's no, him back. New star uh, of the podcast, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's change the topic. Let's move on. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to mention that um, there are a lot of high-level IPIs already on iOS, and uh, before I left for my maternity leave, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we tend to uh, get rid of set parties, uh, few of them. For example, for networking, uh, we are we're pretty happy with uh, uh, networking libraries that provided by, by uh, iOS core. So it's tend to like decrease dependencies and um, it, it doesn't make a code massive or duplicative or something like this. Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, so I am like a maintainer of cryptographic library Temis. So I'm kind of responsible for people. <laughs> I'm kind of adding <laughs> dependencies into the applications. And the story is that iOS and Android, they have, for example, they have really good cryptographic libraries. In iOS, okay, common crypto is was old. Let's call it old and outdated. Let's not call it bad. Let's call it just old, right? But uh, CryptoKit is a new, nice, shiny, boring crypto, high-level APIs, easy to use. However, CryptoKit uh, provides this number of APIs, really few. Okay, now we have Android and Android security library, Android cryptographic library. It provides this number of APIs few. However, when we write a multi-platform application for iOS and Android, and let's say we want to encrypt and decrypt the data, it's complicated to find same APIs, similar working APIs, because the API are the APIs are different, key formats are different, and those platforms expect cryptographic data, binary data, to be in different formats. If to this scheme we add some backend, and we usually have a backend, right? We introduce yet another platform, let's say in Python or let's say in Node.js, that has its own cryptographic cryptographic libraries. With its own API, so an issue to befriend all those crypto APIs, and they're complicated. CryptoKit is great, but have you seen Python cryptographic library? Let's call it outdated as well, okay? It's not bad. It's just just from last century. So, yeah, I was explaining that I maintain a cryptographic library that is often used in this multi-layered 
multi-platform applications because it makes easier to be friend cryptographic API. And yeah, our library term is it depends on OpenSSL for iOS and Boring SSL for Android. Fortunately, Boring SSL is part of Android, well, in a sense, but it's not part of op, uh, of iOS. So yeah, we need to handle all the things. And sometimes when OpenSSL has yet another critical security vulnerability, <laughs> we kind of try to analyze if the code of our library is using this vulnerable code of OpenSSL. I mean, how much time do we have until we are pushed to update, right? Because you can't do it all the time. You can't update library like every week. And for the last couple of weeks, OpenSSL was updated every two weeks, I believe. <laughs> so, and this is the cycle, and a lot of developers are in this cycle. Right. And we, yeah. So we are actually now uh, switched to the like main part of our, our episodes. Like, what practices do you, can you recommend? I mean, like, we assume that developers are actually like want to make secure app, right? Secure apps. So. They, you, you said that that might be an ignorance, so they might not know what things they are not doing right. So, yeah, like for those who are like in a good way, uh, looking for the for for the advices, let's go through something. I mean, is there something more we can recommend to 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 look for to of like course. besides asking you for like more sophisticated advice or consultancy? But yeah, but let's sure like, something to start with. <laughs> Of course, uh, something to start with. The answer for all software security questions is OWASP. Okay. Open web application mm, platform, security, uh, security platform. platform. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so OWASP is an organization, right? And it's kind of a non-commercial organization, yada, yada. Why we care? Because OWASP uh, publish a lot of free guidelines for developers on any platform on most platforms with understandable security advices right so if you if you don't know anything about app security start from a wasp top 10. top 10 is it's like a it's a first step it's an uh, a short guideline uh, about like security awareness so what is 10 it's like 10 main risks, 10 main mistakes, 10 main issues that mobile developers have when they create their apps. If you don't work for mobile, if you work for web, check for OWASP top 10 for web, right? So there's two lists. One list, 10 problems for uh, mobile, another list is 10 problems for web. First step, very first, very basic. Just read about them, educate yourself and if you want to go deeper, each of these issues have a link about guidelines related to that. As a next level, I would suggest to read. I mean, I know, I know that it sounds really boring, but finally to read the security guidelines and security recommendations by Apple and by Google. Um, luckily, Apple have uh, has a very nice security uh, like guideline. Uh, they merged, I think last year, last year, they merged the guidelines for iOS and macOS into one single guideline. They also have the guideline where they explain what security measures they introduce into iOS and macOS. So reading their guidelines, you can kind of understand what is there. What, what is the landscape? What are your possibilities, right? 
Uh, Google also has its Google security best practices and Android development like best practices. So these are nice things to, to start with. Next, if you're ready, if you're not like, if you have heard about some security things and you're like, hey, let's implement obfuscation or hey, let's implement some static analyzer tools. So if you're curious to try something, next step will be checking out OWASP MSWS. Uh, it's a mobile application security verification standard, M-A-S-V-S. -S. It's a checklist. So it's a huge checklist of requirements, security requirements for an app, right? Um, it has different chapters, like security requirements against uh, authentication, security requirements against data storage, against uh, protection for reverse engineering, yada, yada, yada. So depending on what features your application provides, which area are you in, you open this checklist, MSVS, and you start trying to uh, like estimate, to analyze how good or bad the application is from security perspective, right? So simple yes, no, yes, no. You calculate the amount of scores that you get, and this is your basic security level. Now your turn is trying to, to get it higher trying to improve it. And for this purpose, you open OWASP MSTG, which is Mobile Testing Security Guide, Mobile Security Testing Guide. It's a sister project to MSVS. So if you open OWASP MSVS on GitHub, you will see a link to MSTG. So MSTG basically explains how to test all these requirements written in this huge checklist, but also MSTG can explain how to implement it better. So I wouldn't name it um, security engineering guideline, but it has a lot of nice advice. Uh, also, like I and my team, we start contributing to OWASP because it's community-built projects, and uh, we had a lot of experiences mobile security. So now we try to push our experience to this, you know, guidelines, industry-proven guidelines, and trying to to educate even more developers through guidelines. So. OWASP is the answer on how to start. Okay, I think that would be it for today. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, that was an interesting talk, but you s want to say something more, right? <laughs> yes, because of course, uh, because when I start speaking about security, there is no way anyone can stop me. But I also <laughs> I would suggest for developers that are curious in security just to follow some news. Obviously, I will promote my Twitter, like follow me on Twitter. I will also promote your Twitter, right? Follow uh, Dennis and Irina if you have Twitter, I'm not sure. Yes. But at, <laughs> but at least uh, people can follow Apple Tweets Twitter, right? So follow sure. us, like connect into this developer mesh. Okay, that's a very good plug in here. And uh, we definitely give uh, links to the OWASP and uh, to other documents we mentioned here. Uh, and uh, thank you very much. Uh, that mm. was an interesting evening and uh, it was an interesting talk. And uh, yeah, thanks, Anastasia. And, uh, thank you for all your yeah. advices and your stories. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very and welcome. Ping me if you have security related questions. Chances are high that I will just send the link to OWASP, but maybe I can actually answer them. Yeah. Thank you very much. And for all our listeners and viewers, uh, we will see you next time in two weeks. Bye. Bye-bye, people. Bye-bye.